Today we are continuing our series through the Psalms in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the, way, in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is God's word. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me as we open up God's word together this morning? Lord God, we are amazed by your grace in drawing near to us, making yourself known to us, speaking to us. We pray for open ears to hear and for soft hearts to respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the now 30 years of my marriage to Kathy, and I realize at this point some of you are thinking, wow, Shannon, I knew you were old, but my goodness. But in my defense, I got married when I was nine. So over the course of my 30 years of marriage to Kathy, There have been many times when I've written Kathy a letter expressing my love for her, my gratitude for her. There have been some occasions when I've even written for Kathy a poem. I use that term poem very loosely in a very non-English major sense of the word, but there have been some times when I've written Kathy a poem. On a few of those occasions, I wrote her an acrostic poem in which I took the letters of her name, C-A-T-H-Y, and I wrote a line of poetry that started with each of the letters of her name. A couple of times, I was extra ambitious, and I used her full name, Kathleen. I know, very impressive. In my memory, though, I never never once tried to compose an acrostic poem in which I worked through every letter of the alphabet, starting with A all the way through Z, all 26 letters, writing a line of poetry that began with each of those letters. I have never tried that. Maybe you have. Maybe you've written an acrostic poem using every letter of the alphabet for your spouse or for that special someone in your life. And if you have, can I just say thank you so much 
for raising the bar so high for the rest of us? What would compel us? What would motivate us to embrace such a significant undertaking? An acrostic poem, every letter of the alphabet. What would motivate us to do that? It would have to be a a, a deep love for, passion for, devotion to the one to whom we would compose that poem. The psalm that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 119, is an acrostic poem that goes above and beyond. In Psalm 119, the psalmist composes this acrostic poem, working through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 letters. And not only does he work through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet in composing this poem, he writes not just one line that begins with each letter, he writes eight lines of poetry beginning with each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabets. So we get 176 verses in this poem. What would motivate the psalmist to embrace such a huge undertaking like this? It's the psalmist's love for and passion for God's word. In the psalm, he uses multiple terms to refer to the scriptures. The law of the Lord, testimonies, precepts, statutes, and on and on. Kelly just read for us merely the first two sections of this psalm, covering the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Already, though, we sense the psalmist's deep love for and passion for and devotion to this book. Or what the psalmist had of this book when he composed this psalm. Why? Why? Why such passionate devotion to this book? Do we share that same passionate devotion to this book? Or if we're going to be technical, this is really a library of books contained in a single volume. Should we share that same passionate devotion for this book? There are certainly plenty of people in our day who completely dismiss this book, who see the Bible as outdated at best, maybe even harmful. There are some who focus only on the parts of the Bible that seem most agreeable to us. We as a church are convinced that this book is central to who we are in its entirety and therefore worthy of our passionate devotion. Psalm 119 gives us a key reason why this is the case. In these opening sections of Psalm 119, and if you continue to read into Psalm 119, you see that the psalmist lays out how this book paints a picture of the life that God desires for us, a life in which we experience the very blessings of God because it's a life centered on the God who reveals himself in this book. In addition, in Psalm 119, the psalmist lays out the path to this God-centered life of true blessing. 
if you're at a place where you're trying to figure out just what role this book has in your life, just what level of devotion you should have to this book, I believe Psalm 119 will speak to you. If you are, on the other hand, somebody who is is convinced, has long been convinced that this book really is central to our lives, and you've over the years felt that way, but maybe over time, if we're honest, your passion, my passion, our devotion level to this book has waned a little bit, and our approach to this book has become maybe just a bit routine. I believe God, through Psalm 119, just in these first two sections, will remind us why this book is so worthy of our passionate devotion. And my prayer is that it would, it would stir, it would rekindle that devotion and passion to what God speaks to us through this book. As we look at these first two sections of Psalm 119 this morning, the first thing we'll see is a picture, this picture that the psalmist gives of the life that God desires for us. And the psalmist begins by describing what is true of those who are genuinely blessed. Why does the psalmist start here? For one reason, that word blessed in Hebrew begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so it works poetically. But far more than that, the psalmist is speaking about his passion for an experience that he knows with the Lord. And in laying out this picture of a life of true blessing, the psalmist is inviting us into this life. He speaks of this life of blessing that is a life of joy and contentment because it's a life that is immersed in the very goodness and favor of God. And as he speaks of this life of true blessing, he points to several characteristics. Verse 1, blessed are those who are blameless. That is, blessed are those who are people of integrity who stay the course of the life God intends for us. Verse 2, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Verse 3, who also do no wrong. The life of blessing is one in which we're not hindered by the destructive consequences of habitual sin. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame. The life of blessing is characterized by a life of no regrets. A life in which we don't have to continually look back and think, I wish I had made different choices. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. The life of blessing is characterized by this life in which our our words of praise are matched by a God-exalting life. So that we don't have to experience that guilt when there's a disconnect between what we proclaim, what we sing when we gather for worship, and then how our life looks the rest of the week. Ultimately, what the psalmist is picturing is is this life that God desires for us, which is a life in covenant relationship with Him. The Bible is very clear that all humanity has sinfully rebelled against God. Genesis 3 and on. And while that is the case, the holy and awesome God of the universe wants to be known by us, desires to be in relationship with us. God puts this desire into action through establishing covenants. 
That is, through establishing relationships in which people can know him as God and be counted among his people so that he will dwell with us. When the Israelites, the original audience of this psalm, heard that term blessed, most likely what came to mind were thoughts of the promises of God that God connected with the covenant relationship he established with them. When God makes the covenant, he promises blessings, such as the opportunity for close communion with God, the opportunity for the experience of true abundance and security and joy and contentment. The Israelites also knew this, that that promise of blessing, that experience of blessing, had a condition. And the condition was that they would pursue a God-centered life. As the psalmist in Psalm 119 puts it, that we would seek God, walk with God, praise God, a God-centered life. In fact, the different terms that the psalmist uses for the scriptures, law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, words, these are all terms for how God reveals what a God-centered life looks like, involves, includes. This picture of the life of blessing that the psalmist lays out for us serves as an invitation to us into this life of true blessing. But is it even possible? I hear the conditions that are connected with the blessing. Blessed are those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord who do no wrong, who keep his statutes, and I immediately think, man, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. Because I don't come anywhere close to perfectly, much less even consistently in some weeks. I don't come anywhere close to those things. And the truth is, none of us do. None of us do. But friends, God speaks a more ultimate word that is the very culmination of all of this word. The writer of Hebrews opens chapter 1, verse 1, by saying this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jordan in our call to worship was pointing to John 1. And in John 1, Jesus is referred to as the Word. That is the ultimate self-revelation of God. And this Word, Jesus, John 1.14 says, This Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the one and only who came to us full of grace and truth. He he draws near to us. He comes 100% to where we are so that we have a chance to experience a covenant relationship with him where we can know him as our God, we can be his people, and we can dwell together with him. Jesus came and he said he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Matthew 5, 17. He is the perfect fulfillment of the word. In fact, Jesus is the only one, back to Psalm 119, whose way is truly blameless, verse 1 who walks perfectly in the law of the Lord. Jesus is the only one who keeps the very testimonies of God without exception. 
Jesus is the only one who never did any wrong, verse 3, but walked perfectly in the ways of his Father. Jesus is the only one who kept diligently the the precepts of the Lord, the the things that God commanded, verse 4, who was steadfast in keeping every single statute, verse 5, and on and on and on. Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfills what we see laid out in Psalm 119. And when we in our sin and guilt and our shame, our unrighteousness, come to Jesus Christ, the perfectly obedient, sinless, perfectly righteous Son of God, we experience the miracle of the great exchange through what Jesus accomplished for us through his sacrificial death on the cross. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross takes our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness when we respond to him in faith, enabling us in Christ to meet the very standard that allows us to draw near to a holy God. When we respond with a surrender of faith to Jesus Christ, we gain entrance into this covenant relationship by His grace. And we are invited into this life of true blessing. A life in which we can experience the joy and the contentment of the life that God desires for us because through our faith union with Jesus Christ, the perfectly holy and righteous one, we're now immersed in the very favor and goodness of God. Through faith faith in Jesus Christ, the word who was revealed in this word, we can experience a life centered on him, the life God desires for us. The question then is, how do we move into the full realization of this life of blessing that God designed us for? Here's the second thing we see in these opening sections of Psalm 119. The psalmist points us to the path. The path of actively engaging with God through his word. The path that the psalmist lays out is not a path about trying to achieve blessing. This path that we walk on is our grateful response to the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. However, as Dallas Willard put it, grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Again and again we see in the New Testament, make every effort. Make every effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We cannot earn. Jesus earned it for us. But grace is not opposed to effort. Psalm 119 says this path to the realization of the life that God desires for us is about actively engaging effort, actively engaging with God through his word. Let me highlight three dimensions that we see of this in Psalm 119. The first dimension of this engagement is careful engagement. Careful engagement. 
Friends, when we come to the Bible, we come recognizing that God is speaking. And therefore, we take great care to listen well. The different terms the psalmist uses to point to the scriptures shows the psalmist's recognition and his desire to take great care to study all the different parts of how God speaks and to understand carefully the intent of God in each of the different parts of the scriptures. The psalmist recognizes that God, through his word, speaks instruction. He sets guardrails for the life he desires for us. His law, his rules, the commands that he lays out. Psalmist also recognizes that God, through his word, prescribes how God intends his world and life to work, his precepts. The psalmist also recognizes that God, through his word, speaks to us in ways that reveal his character, his purposes, and inviting us to a life that reflects his character and his purposes, God's ways. Therefore, the psalmist desires to be diligent, verse 4, to keep his eyes fixed on God and his word, verse 6, and again in verse 15, to not forget any part of God's word, verse 16. The psalmist carefully engages with God through his word. He, we, recognize we come to the Bible. When we come to the Bible, we come to a God who is speaking to us and revealing himself to us, and so we engage with humble careful attention and a desire to listen well to this God. Careful engagement. Second, comprehensive engagement. Comprehensive engagement. We submit our whole selves to God through his word. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his statutes, who seek him with their whole hearts. The heart in scripture is is more than just our emotions. The heart in Scripture is the very core of who we are. It includes our emotions, but it also speaks to our minds, our will to act. The psalmist is saying, blessed are those who are really ready to engage comprehensively with God through His Word, our whole selves engaged with God through His Word. We see in these opening sections of Psalm 119 that the psalmist engages intellectually. He desires to learn, verse 7. He says in verse 12, teach me. Verse 15, I will meditate, I will immerse my mind in thinking about and thinking about and thinking about your precepts. The psalmist engages intellectually with God through his word. The psalmist also engages with God through his word in ways that stirs his affections. He speaks in verse 14 and again in verse 16 of his delight. He delights in God's word, stirs his affections. In addition to that, the psalmist engages in ways that motivates his will to act. He talks about walking in God's ways and God's word. Verse 1 and verse 3, keeping God's word. Verse 2, verse 8, verse 9, guarding God's word. These are all action words, engagement of the will in the act of living according to what he learns. Friends, depending on how we're wired, most of us tend toward one of those different areas. Some of us, we live in our mind. 
So when we come to God's word, we tend to engage intellectually. We're, we're just very intense studiers. Others of us, we are more in touch with our affections. Then we, we come to God's word and we just have this sense of what's stirring in us as we listen to God through his word. Still others of us, we're just, we're just like, hey, tell me what I'm supposed to do. How do I apply this to my life? I just, let's get to application. We come to God's word ready to engage with a will for action. All of those are great. All of those are necessary. The challenge for us is not to just stay in one lane, only engaging intellectually or only engaging with the will to act, but to be willing to comprehensively submit our whole selves to God when we come to his word. To do so, that involves sometimes taking different approaches than maybe we would gravitationally take in terms of our study of God's Word. If we're one of those intense, work-through-a-passage-of-Scripture a kind of people, sometimes we just need to read bigger chunks of Scripture and just ask the Lord to stir in us what He desires to stir in us. Or if we tend to be on the information-gathering side of studying God's Word, We need to think through, how is God calling us to respond? What's God calling us to do? What action is he calling us to take? There's all kinds of great tools out there to help us study God's word. As we do so, let's do so comprehensively. Let's submit our whole selves to God through his word. Careful engagement, comprehensive engagement, and always Christ-focused engagement always Christ-focused engagement. Notice that the psalmist speaks not about God's word as ink on a page or or a scroll in his case. Rather, verse 2, blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. The psalmist is constantly seeking the one who speaks these words. As we engage with God's word, we're not doing so merely to gather information. That's a necessary thing, but that's not the end goal. Nor do we come to God's word just trying to iron out or clarify our systematic theology. Important, but not the ultimate goal. We come to God's word not because, hey, we're Christians, this is what we're supposed to do. I checked my box, I read my Bible today. Not a bad thing, not the goal. Our goal, every time we come to this book, is to draw closer to, to walk more closely with the one who reveals himself to us in the pages of the Bible. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the one to whom all of Scripture points. So we come to God's Word seeking Jesus, worshiping Him as Lord, desiring a life that's centered on Christ and Christ alone. We come with a Christ-focused engagement. A number of years ago, some Christ-following students at the University of Illinois befriended another student, a young man who was not a believer. In fact, he had a completely unchurched background. But these Christ-following students came alongside of this young man. They they befriended him. They, They loved him. They included him in their lives, and they began to share with him about Jesus, pointing him to the gospel. And this man was skeptical, but he became increasingly curious about this faith of these friends of his and how much they loved him. 
So they gave this young man a Bible and they gave him some instructions on how to read the Bible and they said, we encourage you to read the Bible. And he did. A few weeks after he got his Bible, he contacted me and asked if we could get together and talk through some questions that he had about the Bible. I said, sure, of course. Remember, when we got together, he reached into his backpack and he pulled out this Bible and I was shocked. That Bible had literally dozens of those little post-it notes sticking out at all angles, seemingly on every single page of that Bible. And he began with the first post-it note and he just opened it up and he started asking questions. Very respectfully, just wonderful conversation. And the questions were all over the map. There were questions like, okay, Saul here in 1 Samuel, is that the same Saul in Acts? Oh, no, 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 no. Just question like question after question. And we talked, I don't even remember how long it was, but over time, the course of our conversation finally got to the point where he was asking questions like, what is the point? What's the point of this book? And so I shared with him again what his friends had been sharing with him as well. The point of this book is to give us a chance to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. This book points to Jesus what Jesus has done for us and the chance to be in a relationship with the God of the universe through his son Jesus Christ if we will surrender in faith to him. That man did not become a believer in that moment. In the wake of that conversation though, I had two impressions. One was I was so impressed with how seriously this guy, not even a believer, had engaged with this book carefully, comprehensively, just all through the pages of this book. Here he was, so devoted to trying to figure out what this book is all about. I was so impressed. Secondly, I was so challenged. I was so challenged. I thought, Here's a guy who's not even a believer in Jesus yet. And I see his devotion to engaging with this book. His, his passion for trying to understand this book. And if I believe everything I just shared with this guy, which I do, why would I not be even more passionate, even more devoted to engaging with this book day by day by day by day? Because truth be told... My engagement with this book was consistent, but my passion level had waned a bit. It had become more routine. I was doing it because that's what I do. That's what I'm supposed to do. I was challenged to rekindle the passion and devotion to this book that leads to the life with God-centered in it that this book leads us to. As the psalmist proclaims, God reveals himself through this book. He reveals the life he desires for us through this book and he shows us the path to that life in covenant relationship with him in Jesus Christ through this book. So friends, how about you? How about you? How closely does your passion your devotion to this book, how closely does it match what we see in Psalm 119? Perhaps the next step for you is to make and pursue a plan to kindle 
a deeper passion for this book. To determine what it would look like for you personally to actively engage with God through His Word in a consistent daily way. To be in places where God can be speaking to you through this book. To do so personally, to do so in community with others. Maybe that's the next step for you. Or maybe you're somebody who's been convinced for a long time about the centrality of this book. But if truth be told, maybe your passion for this book, maybe your devotion to this book has waned a little bit over time. And you still read and study this book, but it doesn't have the same passion and devotion that maybe it once had. For you, a potential next step is to make a plan and pursue a plan to hit the refresh button when it comes to God's Word. To maybe take a new or different approach to God's Word than you've taken recently that enables God to stir some things in your heart and to help you re-engage with the kind of passion and devotion to His Word that we see here in Psalm 119. Maybe we will never write an acrostic poem that pictures this life centered on Jesus Christ as we engage with God through His Word. But far more beautiful, far more powerful will be the story that we write day by day with our life as we exalt Jesus, as we thrive in a covenant relationship with Him through delighting in and keeping God's Word. May we be that, people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the incredible gift that You've given us in this book, Your Word. We are reminded it's not merely ink on a page. It's not merely a nice religious text. It is you, the living God, speaking your living and active word into our lives, into our community. And we pray that you would stir in us the kind of passion and devotion to this book that is fueled by our passion and devotion to you as Lord and King. Thank you and pray that you would do this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.